Uh, good day, everyone. Uh, my name is Peter Spotgitter, and I'm talking again with Bronwyn Howell this morning in our podcast, Call and Chain. We are both from the Institute for Technology and Network Economics. Please visit our website, www.itne.eu, when you have a chance. So we're talking today about blockchain and the supply chain. So this is one of the areas in which we focus is distributed ledger technology and various applications as well as gov uh, governance of blockchain. Uh, good day, Bronwyn. Good day, Pietrus. So um, what aspects of distributed ledger technology do you think are particularly relevant for supply chains? Well, I think the issue of the transparency of, of the blockchains is quite important. If many disparate people in different locations are wanting to source information about a product, the, um, one of the business cases that's been suggested with the supply chain is that the different parties in the supply chain can check and verify at various points that, in fact, things have gone through specific processes and but they can be checked at different times, so the payment issues can be checked separate from the physical movement issues if they don't need to be linked. And because it resides on a blockchain, which is not resident within any one of the various suppliers, no one actually owns the system that controls the information. So it's spread out and distributed around rather than having that single point of control where a particular party becomes the custodian of the whole chain. Yes, and these supply chains are typically quite complex. So you have a producer in one country, then you have local shippers, you have port handlers, you have customs clearance, uh, where it arrives, you have the same in reverse. And um, often there are various options. So you'll, you'll have several shippers that you can use, um, also for the local shipping. So uh, it's often kind of difficult for the information to travel up and down that chain. And this information is important uh, for things like payments. So payments are triggered when uh, goods are received at certain points. And um, this uh, information required to trigger the payment is uh, really important. And uh, what blockchains allow you to do is to record pertinent information it's not confidential at all, so you can have a code, re code related to something and then just post a message in, on, in fact, a public ledger saying that that item has been received. So that's uh, something that really makes it great. Yes, and also with the use of smart contracts, these payments can be set up in advance so that once a deal has been done, even though the performance of the contract might not be you know, for several months into the future, the entire chain of contracts can be set up to fall as dominoes as each particular trigger in the system is passed. So that, um, perp that purpose that comes from the use of blockchain technologies and smart contracts is probably the most useful way that that can be deployed in a supply chain. So if we think of, of an example, so you could have uh, a shipment consisting of just a package or a pallet of a certain good that gets scanned and recorded at a big port in Asia, for example, goes into a container, it's scanned as being in a particular container, and uh, then the arrival of that container at the destination port can again be scanned, and all you need to know 
is that the container is now there, which implies that the package that was earlier recorded as being in the in the container is also there. And this can simply be done uh, with anonymous codes and uh, verified parties uh, recording those specific transactions. So uh, you could basically just onboard the various uh, shipping handlers and have them record this information uh, instead of having a big fat file full of stamped forms and uh, things like that, which is really very, very 19th century. Yes, and of course, one of the advantages for using this for things like customs clearing processes, it would allow a whole lot of pre-processing to be done in advance so that uh, if, say, the customs system was involved with the chain, they could anticipate what's coming in, do the due diligence on what needs to be done on things coming across the border, set up the the payments for the tariffs or customs duties that need to be paid. They can be pre-approved in advance, set up there in the minute that it crosses the border, it can trigger the smart contract for the payment of the tariff and various systems like that as well, which can smooth and speed up the process so that goods don't sit around waiting for physical processing, that we can speed up the whole system. So of let's course, just think about... Go ahead. Should just finish? Yeah. No, I was going to go on to another topic, so you can come in with your point. Then. Okay, so I just want to step back a little bit and review what the aspects are of blockchains or distributed ledgers that are pertinent here. And that is the fact that it is, in fact, a ledger. So once an entry has been made into that, that entry is time-stamped and cannot be deleted. So uh, you have this public record, uh, which is, in fact, a write-only document. So uh, you can't later go fiddle, go fiddle with it. So if you have recorded something that has arrived at 11 o'clock on Tuesday that is recorded there on Tuesday and uh, that's time-stamped and you can't backdate the information. So I think that's very useful and so that's very important to keep in mind that people who are thinking about this don't need to know much about the technicalities. They only need to know that it's possible to run such a public ledger online and that's, in fact, the real feature that, that we are using here. So we are not necessarily thinking about payments uh, involving cryptocurrencies, although that's not impossible. Uh, but I think a more typical application does not involve that at all. Uh, it might involve uh, uh, conventional bank payments being triggered by a smart contract, that is, by events that happen on the uh, public ledger, but uh, this is really basically nothing to do with cryptocurrencies. No, I mean, the option is always there if you wish to use the cryptocurrency, if you're looking to clear um, international transactions more quickly than is possible within the traditional banking system. But that doesn't have to be a component of it. It can be an, an add-on if the group wishes to use for its, its interactions. Of course, the great thing about this is that it's, it's a wonderfully auditable system. So if there's any query about what happened when, to look retrospectively into things that happened to cre create a trail for, for perhaps um, going back to verify whether in fact something did happen when it was expected, the information is available and it's possible then for anyone to be able to audit 
the process of events that is followed through that particular article or that particular container through the system. So all parties are able to verify that. Yes, and in fact, the distributed ledger is the source document on which all parties can agree. So uh, there is no faxing of, uh, uh, I've forgotten what it's called in, the, in, in English, Frachtbrief in German. So uh, there's all, all, all of these uh, archaic document names for the various pieces of paper involved. Um, so we can actually record all the pertinent information in the ledger and any disputes can be resolved by looking at that or most uh, most disputes. So thinking about some uh, typical applications, so I understand that one of the issues is uh, uh, origination. So you can look at origination of products as well and record pertinent information on the blockchain. Um, I understand that you have looked at uh, one particular issue, which is um, counterfeit wine. So um, in China, I read 30,000 bottles of counterfeit wine are sold every hour. Um, how can we how can we address that problem using uh, uh, origin and distributed ledger technology? Well, there's an application called Tag It Smart, which um, when the when the wine is bottled, a tag is created with a QR code and particular information on it, which is then also it also um, is verified on the bottle itself with an indelible ink, but that is only visible with a particular sort of light. And what can happen is that the tag and the tag with the public information and the indelible um, but invisible code on the bottle can be tested at any point to check whether there's the match between the code on the tag, the code on the bottle, and then checking back with the, with the system itself with the information on the distributed ledger that in fact that is an authentic bottle that was um, dis was issued by the authentic distributor of the wine in the first place that it's not a counterfeit bottle because first of all you have to have a legitimate code to be checked against and then you can also check that in the process that the tag itself has actually travelled with the bottle and the two things match up together right through the process. Of course, these intelligent tags can also be used for things like ensuring that the bottle has been kept in the right storage conditions. If it's got a temperature sensor in it, they can track right through the progression of the bottle from the vineyard to the consumer that it hasn't been um, got too hot or too cold or that other things can be put in the sensors here to check for the conditions in which it's been in. Perhaps not so important for wine, but that might matter for a product like cheese or something where temperature matters. So you can ensure that it hasn't actually been violated in that sense as it's gone through the process so that the consumer can not only check at the end that it is A, authentic, but also B, that it's been handled within the um, parameters of safety for other conditions that are important for getting it to the consumer in, in first-class condition. Yes, so I have, in fact, uh, purchased uh, stakes uh, in Johannesburg that were tagged with a QR code that can be traced back to a specific herd. So you scan the code and it takes you basically just to a website that gives some information. And um, I have been assisting a company called Yimi Africa in, uh, in designing an improved system 
for the tracking of meat products, which is, of course, very temperature sensitive. But uh, the consumers are also interested in knowing about the origin of that product. And uh, this is something which is uh, uh, really interesting. And what we have been trying to do is we have been trying to design the system so that it can be implemented uh, in parts so that there is value added in the supply chain. And I think this is true for supply chains in general. So you can put the entire process on the blockchain, but there's already value in uh, implementing it only in parts. And, of course, one of the features, one of the features that's important here is the ability to generate uh, the tags or the unique identifiers for the products. And uh, that's basically because we have random numbers and uh, we have something uh, like digital signatures even, which is the topic for a different conversation. But these technologies allow you to generate codes uh, that can be tracked back and can be verified by specific parties. And uh, this is a really important part of it, the ability to uniquely label, whether it's boxes, bottles of wine, um, uh, in, in, in the case of meat, this can be a carcass, can be uh, specifically tagged, or the live animal can be tagged by unique codes that can be verified later. Yes, and this is particularly important for things like meat because, of course, you start with a live beast which has multiple cuts on it. You then want to track it from its from the farm through to the abattoir, through to the process of dismantling that beast into all of its various cuts and then being able to track where all of those go subsequently and how they've been handled and used right through the chain. Now, there's no reason why these things couldn't be handled with a standard um, data processing system. And if the chain is short and all of the parties along the chain are tightly integrated, then, in fact, we would probably not need to use a blockchain for this because you could use your own internal system for it. Where it becomes more important, though, is where the chain crosses international boundaries, where you might have different processing protocols in different places, or when you have multiple parties supplying in and out of the system and it becomes more complex. So the greater the number of parties you've got involved potentially in these chains, the more desirable it becomes to have a blockchain-type solution rather than an internally managed system that controls your own chain. Sure. And uh, when we think about the transaction cost, I mean, if you did it on the proprietary system, you would have to onboard everybody along the chain and have a system for updating identities, etc., etc. If you're on the blockchain, uh, you can do it many different ways. So one of the features of blockchain technologies that people, I think, don't sufficiently appreciate is that you can also uh, generate identities. So using random numbers and uh, digital signatures, you can claim a new identity uh, at any time, so an address for a blockchain transaction, and uh, that identity can then, in fact, be verified later on. So if you had a mobile phone with one specific identity that we, you, were using, you, you were using to uh, record supply chain transactions and that phone drops into the harbor, uh, it's, of course, a disaster, but ideally the transactions up to that point would be recorded. And what the participant in the supply chain would typically do then 
is you just create a new identity on a new phone or device and then just start using that and then later have that identity authenticated as belonging to a real-world person. So this is really a great feature uh, of these systems. Yes, and what it does is it democratizes it in the sense that it makes them available for many different parties to be able to join in. So whereas those internal systems might work if 100% of your production is supplied within a single supply chain, that works well. But if you've got many different parties that you're dealing with, with your component of the supply chain, that's what makes it more desirable to use a blockchain type system rather than a bespoke internal system, a supply chain management system of old for managing the movement of the goods through the system. Of course, you make an interesting... Go ahead. Please go ahead. I was going to say, you make an interesting point there about the potential use of these things indelibly as well. And this is interesting when we're having to think, we've talked so far about supply of goods and services that are consumable, but the use of blockchains is fantastic if we're now looking at durable goods that last a long period of time. Say, for example, a motor vehicle. And if we're now looking at where we can have a motor vehicle that will have a long life, it could potentially be manufactured in one country. It could be sold for the first time in a second country. It may then be resold into a third country and have many different owners in different places along the way. The use of something like a blockchain to be able to keep track of that is a great potential there to be able to get a real history of what's happened to that vehicle over many different locations over an extended period of time so that we can then find, for example, say there's a manufacturing fault that's found in the first country, the manufacturing country, but how do you then actually identify who owns the vehicle to get it go, to go back for the repair? At the moment, the system is very difficult because it traces through a whole bunch of proprietary systems in different countries for how they register and manage motor vehicles. But if you've now got this direct link and the identity of the vehicle is tracked through all of that and the ownership and servicing records and all of those things are also kept and stored through that vehicle's life on the blockchain system, then it becomes a lot easier to be able to check, well, first of all, did it have that faulty component in it in the first place? And then B, how do we manage to now um, call it back in to have the fault repaired? Or as we're seeing increasingly where the the integration of software and hardware means that often the control of these things is not something that necessarily has to be physically um, changed, but is actually done by way of a software update then that linking of the chain of where that that vehicle has managed to go and who the ownership is can then be very helpful for ensuring that the understanding and the knowledge and the responsibility for ensuring that, say, that software update takes place, regardless of the fact that you don't necessarily need to know who the owner is, that sort of system can also be managed well using a blockchain system, whereas it would be quite difficult to carry out using the current country-specific systems. Indeed. And um, I understand that the French luxury group uh, LVMH, Louis Vuitton Moet NSE, uh, is looking at the provenance platform like that for their, of course, durable uh, luxury goods. And that's completely understandable. And uh, what I find especially attractive about distributed ledger systems is the robustness. So, 
the robustness is built into it. Um, and uh, that's something which I think is uh, really relevant. Uh, so a lot of the software systems that we have work quite well, but are in fact not very robust. Um, so, of course, there's a price to pay. So public blockchain transactions um, uh, typically have a cost per transaction, um, but these costs are, can be quite low, as in uh, – below of uh, much less than one American cent. And uh, it's also possible for them to be sponsored by some central uh, party. So certain kinds of transactions can be sponsored. Um, I think the fact that there is a cost involved uh, is a feature and not a bug because uh, cost always means that things are by definition traceable. Um, IBM has... IBM okay. is quite involved uh, in blockchains for the supply chain in providing the platform, uh, as well as the Linux Foundation through its various uh, blockchain software uh, efforts. And, of course, it is possible for a big company or a conglomerate to run their own blockchain, although I would not necessarily recommend that. So I think that the robustness and um, Transparency is enhanced by using public blockchains. Uh, any thoughts on that? Um, on the issue of the ownership of them, I think I think it matters more about the governance and ownership, the governance in the first instance of actually instigating the chain at the very beginning. One of the bigger, biggest problems is actually financing the business case to actually establish a blockchain system in the first place. And that creates a governance issue and who is, who is setting the rules for how it is set up, who has the power to be able to change some of the rules if things aren't working appropriately. And that's quite a challenge, particularly in the early stages of a blockchain being created. So the issue of rather than having a single firm owning the blockchain or controlling that, I think the issue of perhaps having a an external system, an external governance system that manages a body of parties who are contributing into the blockchain, I think is a great way of, of setting these up. So, for example, Sovereign has set up a blockchain under this arrangement where a wide array of various businesses are part of the Sovereign network who create the governance frame for making decisions about the technical aspects of how the blockchain operates over time so that tweaks can be made if it's not working perfectly. But within that, various parties can come in and use the chain, put their transactions on it and interact with it without necessarily being part of that wider governance entity. So I think we have some interesting challenges there because blockchains are expected to be long-lived assets in themselves and they need to they will have a life of their own so we have to think about who is going to take some lifetime responsibility for the governance of that and that's where the ability to create this legal legal framework around the outside of them I think is very important for creating that certainty and engendering confidence that if things go wrong it's possible to be able to activate the governance entity to do what's necessary to put it right. 
because inevitably with these things, we can't foresee the future. Things can go wrong and we need to have the tools in place to do that. But we don't know what will go wrong, so we need some flexibility. So while it's not one firm that owns and runs it, I think we might have a closed or private network that takes responsibility for that aspect of managing the system. I mean, in that sense, it's perhaps a little bit like Facebook, where Facebook's got its its new governance board that it's setting up to monitor the content that goes on the, on Facebook, and that exists as a an extra surety of of uh, check in the system of dealing with what goes wrong when something happens, where they have to. Um, challenge a decision to put content up or leave it up or take it down. Well, in this case, it's just like having that same sort of governance framework that's able to make decisions about changes to the system if, in fact, those need to be made when adverse events happen. So for clients, one of the advantages is then uh, if you're using public blockchains or commonly owned blockchains, uh, that there's a tremendous reduction in vendor risk. So if you have a system put, put, put in place that uses a blockchain that's uh, run by multiple parties and has a solid governance system, that means that your dot, you know that your data is in fact safe there. And if you are operating on uh, principles and using protocols uh, that you are in possession of, uh, the vendor risk practically reduces to zero. Uh, so two of the projects that I want to mention in this regard is the interplanetary file system and the interplanetary database, uh, both of which are looking at long-term or, in fact, indefinite-term storage. So that is a new idea, um, and I think it's an excellent idea to think about indefinite storage of data um, and to structure around that. Um, so if people want to read a bit more about the governance of blockchains, uh, we have uh, several papers about it. Uh, some of them are on the uh, University of Indiana Bloomington website, I think, and uh, some of them are available on SSRN, the Social Science Research Network, and uh, uh, you can also find that linked from the Institute for Technology and Network Economics website www.itne.eu. So, Bronwyn, um, any uh, thoughts from you in closing today? Well, I think the the blockchain is new. Um, It's not going to be a universal solution for everything. It is particularly useful in transactions that have a sequence to them across time, which is why they are particularly useful for supply chains. But They're not the universal solution to all problems, but there are particular niche cases where they do make a lot of sense. Uh, That's an excellent summary. So I thank you for today's conversation, as always, Bronwyn, and uh, we'll be putting out a new podcast uh, in two or three weeks' time. So please keep this in your feed and uh, go to the website and uh, contact us if you would like any further information about things that we have discussed. Thank you very much.